You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Today is episode 15, and on today's show, we'll be talking about some games played, some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic this evening will be randomness, followed by our top three favorite random games. And we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Matt. Yes. Thank you for tuning in to the only podcast in the world with us as your hosts. Uh, Justine is unfortunately out sick today, but Matt has agreed to imitate her voice and opinions. <laughs> I agree with Matt. It's like spot on. <laughs> and read her notes. I'm just kidding. Salt con is putting the flavor back into gaming. And it's coming soon. Uh, SaltCon is happening March 5th through the 8th, and it is the largest board gaming convention in the state of Utah. So if you're in the area or feel like taking a drive or a flight, we highly suggest coming to SaltCon. Um, they have not just four days of nonstop gaming, but also an exhibitor hall and a huge library. And if you don't feel like reading rules there, they have Christo teaching every single hot game there. <laughs> <laughs> no, just four of them. And my hours are actually really odd this time, so I may not see you. But also, Cards and Cubes will be doing a live show there in the form of a panel. It will be on Saturday March 7th at 10 a.m. So if you want to support us, come on down. Also, you know, if you ever have any questions that we may or may not answer on the show, you can email us at cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at cardsandcubes.com. All right, so we have played games recently, haven't we? Yeah, I yeah, have. we've played games for sure. <laughs> All right, the first game I want to talk about is Masters of Renaissance Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game. I could pretty much sum this up by saying it is Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game. Sort of. If you've played Lorenzo, I would say that it's the yellow cards, which are conversion cards, a.k.a. Uh, production cards uh, and the fate track that's the entire game except you have this uh, shifting market of colored marvels that represent the resources you pick a row or column a three by four uh, marble grid and you get all those resources in that roller row or column there's always a marble out you push that marble in and it changes the market uh, you get those resources, you have to put them on limited shelves, and then you could buy cards with resources, and then you can run your production, which is resources into resources. But those resources go into a chest that have no rules other than like nothing. They have no rules. Uh, I've said resources a lot because this is a game of resource management, some slight engine building, and... Uh, shifting market it is uh, uh in my opinion a 
Lorenzo extremely watered down. I was kind of hoping that, so they have like green cards and blue cards and yellow cards and purple cards like Lorenzo. However, they all do the same thing. They're all conversions. So I was hoping maybe like, you know, the purple cards would be end game scoring or whatever. Um, it was okay. Like it is very much like Century Spice Road, but I do like this better. And it's basically like 30 to 45 minutes. So basically a filler game. So I liked it okay, but because of the name, I was a bit disappointed. Um, I liked it because of the name. Um, it gives me a little bit of a feeling of Lorenzo in 30 minutes. You think it's like watered down. I think it's kind of distilled. I think it's like taking a little shot of Lorenzo real quick because the best part about it is what you said. It takes 30 minutes and, and a real 30 minutes. Lots of games say they take 30 minutes and they're fillers and they drag into 45 or an hour. No, you can get this done in 30 minutes. Just get a little religion, a little yellow track, get your Lorenzo fix. Yeah. You know, um, I, when I was playing this, I thought that it would be a really great two-player game, and you played it two-player. Justine says three, four players. She was highly disappointed with it, but really enjoyed it as a two-player game. Do you concur? Yes. The marble thing is so fun two-player, just to think about the geometry of slotting in from the top or from the side. In three or four players, so much happens in between your turns that it's kind of chaos -y. Right, right. Uh, you can't really think about mm -hmm. what am I going to give my opponents if I put this marble in because who cares? You have to look at everybody's stuff. But in a two-player game, that's mm -hmm. really important. What am I going to give to my opponent? And that's where the uh, limited storage comes in. It's really bad to get more resources than you can store. You take a penalty by giving your opponent religion. And in a two-player, you can kind of set people up to take too much more oh, yeah. of the time. It's kind of a fun tactic you can to see go what for. They need and... Yeah. And if they have a bonus by getting extra resources, you can actually like exploit that and use it against them a lot. Those white circles are dangerous in two players. Yeah. Justine actually won with the white circles, though. It was weird by giving us faith here and there sometimes last game. My impression from the game is kind of chaos, unfortunately. Uh, the, I think I only played it like two times. Um, and that what player that count? That was a four-player count, yeah. though. So, yeah, I felt like the thing in the middle is really fancy and really who cares in a four-player game. I guess in a two-player game might be different. But uh, you do something and then three other people might do something and then you end up with something completely just like who knows what it's going to be when it comes back to you. Uh, the cards flip and some might be better for you that you might just happen to be able to afford. Um, but it's fine as a shorter game, I think. Um, the game I played this week was uh, Cold Coal to Adventure. Um, Call to Adventure is actually kind of a weird game where it's a lot like, I'd say, CV or uh, Pursuit of Happiness, where you're building a life, but the life you're building is an adventure life, adventurous life, uh, almost like a fantasy adventure um, experience where you start um, in your youth, I guess, and you go through like adulthood and like being old. Um, basically, those are signified by an ongoing ability, you have a couple of ongoing abilities and an endgame scoring ability in a way. Uh, you kind of go through your whole life by performing either feats of um, courage or 
evilness actually or whatever the game has like a track of you doing good deeds and bad deeds and actually none of them are necessarily like bad for your score it's just kind of like do you want to go good so to speak or do you want to go bad or some cards are like just be on the edge or something and um the game is actually really random uh you roll they're called runes. The runes are really just kind of coins. They're double-sided, and one of the sides has something. The other side has something else, usually related to the other side, but not always. Um, and the challenges you attempt or the feats of or the, the story you build around your character, really the life you build, involves a lot of tests. Um, the tests are basically collecting, collecting a set of runes and rolling them. Um, or rolling them, I guess, like throwing them. Okay, really. I was going to say, throwing. like you flip yeah. them, right? It's they a don't coin roll. Flip. They don't. Yeah, they don't roll. You just throw them, and they are one side or the other. Um, so, what's really cool about the game to me is actually kind of the story aspect of it, and uh, just kind of it, there's some something like magical about it because segue into randomness. Um, I think the game is actually really random. It's basically kind of like some Yahtzee set collection, the weird variant with a lot of top decking and just like some take that abilities as well. And it's just kind of chaos. And there's a, it's sometimes you can fall behind and it's, it's all luck and the consequences can be really huge. But the game strength, I think, is actually the way it builds kind of like, kind of like a story to me. Um, you feel like you're actually like, yeah, I'm like young and doing these things. And then it, you kind of, at the end of the game, you're actually supposed to look at your character and all the things you've done. And it's really neat. You can, like, the, there's texts which fit. Maybe you're like a performer who was blessed and he climbed the shoulder of the giant. And you're supposed to actually, like, tell a story about how your character's life went or something. Did you guys do this last time you played? Uh, we didn't game? because we kind of, Mirai was like over it. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, everyone else kind of forgot and they were just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> it's Mirai's game, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's played it a lot or something. Um, but you're supposed to do it um, just for fun. There's like no scoring involved in this, obviously. And the game does have a score. It's like a not a co-op or anything. It's just like a competitive game, uh, but it's supposed to be kind of a little bit lighthearted and just kind of like see where fate takes you or something. Kind of a game. Just, What's the winning condition? Is it is it uh, points? points. Oh, it's okay. points. You're collecting points. It's actually like set collection. Basically, there's a lot of set collection happening and just timing of elements, some engine building in a way, um, getting basically the ability to roll more runes you get kind of stronger as, as the game goes on the swings get larger <laughs> um the stakes get larger so yeah I, I, I think it's really awesome actually though oh interesting i avoided this game because it looked a bit trashy to me yes it very much is so you should go in with the expectation of just like super luck and <laughs> chaos but for some reason it has like magic for me i don't know why um uh is it long uh the rules are actually really confusing the first time you, you see the game you're like what the heck because the dice all have like symbols on them and they're weird like uh trismegistus or something they're just like these weird symbols and they symbolize like dexterity and constitution and like the rpg stats uh but 
the game is actually really simple once you get it. I think it can be done also in like an hour, hour and a half if you go really fast. It shouldn't really be that long. You shouldn't really think about it. Because it's not that serious, right? It's not serious. I think it's designed to be like an hour and a half at most. Um, and you shouldn't really take it that seriously and just like go with it. A lot of games are doing that recently, flipping from kid to adult. Terramara did it. Uh, Marvel Champions seems to kind of do it. Yeah. Kid, child to adult? Yeah, Peter Parker to Spider-Man, you know, weak to strong. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Or like a life progression. You start as a youngling and you grow up. Not all kids are weak, Matt. <laughs> I, Just me? <laughs> <laughs> no, haven't you ever seen those like bodybuilder kids? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, in, they exist. In, in Terramara, the kids are all, all about engine building, so they're like really strong, and yeah. then they're all about victory points. So they just like sit and collect Talking stuff. about high school. Like, <laughs> yeah. just I was tell quarterback stories. in state championship. <laughs> so the kids are the engine, man. Uh, okay, so this week, Board Game Arena released matchmaking, um, and they call it arena because they're arena. So whereas before you just had to create a game and hope enough people of your right parameters sign up for with you around the globe, join in. Now you just hit a button and it matches you up with people of your skill level. So it takes the waiting out of it and it takes the, oh, we're all rated 400 and your one player's rated 100. That just kind of ruins the game out of it. And so I think it's making the site more popular. And so I've been just addicted to it. I'm just going to list all the games that they have right now. Terra Mystica, Zolkin, Keyflower, Nippon, Twa, Russian Railroads, Year of the Dragon, Puerto Rico, Carcassonne, and Hive. If you like any of those, I really highly recommend going on Board Game Arena and trying to level up at it because the games are super competitive. A lot of strategies get way deep. Uh, yeah. Did it get uh, did it in, uh, did it get people to play more real-time? Because actually that's the most of the problem really i have with the site is like there's a lot of uh play by mail games that happen and like if you want to play one of the weirder games like kamiitis or no, something you have to hope that the right people are awake in hong kong at the time yeah. real time was really drying up and this is real time salvation now you go hit a button and you're playing a real time game that sounds good actually maybe i'll log back on oh you yeah totally should i feel like there were like 10 games being played over and over in real time like just over and i don't and even over. think it was 10 i would i would think it's like four yeah, yeah. <laughs> um the first game you should try for lols is zolkin the people that do the edgiest strategies they just turn food to resources and food to yeah. resources for the first three-fourths of the game go hungry they're like negative 25 points yep and then they wreck your face. You're like not even mad. You're just like, that was amazing. <laughs> I was like, like fanboying in the chat. <laughs> no, I've, I've tried to do that in real life. It like doesn't a slingshot. Work. Me right? too. It's so hard. I don't yeah. get how they do it. Yeah, I, I don't get it either. But I've seen like food conversions of like 150 corn to like yeah. 30 gold. And like they just buy like five buildings in one turn. And it's like, what the crap just happened? I don't know. Uh, they play six guys by the whole building market. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're not playing real time, what you're doing is you're, you take a turn. And then does it notify you when it's your turn again, or do you have to keep checking? Um, it notifies you by email or whatever. Oh, it's by email. Mm -hmm. And this is on your computer, right? It's not like on your phone that you play. Um, I play on my phone. Oh, you do? Okay. It's on your computer or your phone. You just have to go to the website. It's You don't have to download anything. Got it. I think for real time, you might have kind of a harder time on your phone because of clock running down and you got to do things fast, maybe. I don't know. It seems like a pain to do it on your phone, but maybe it's doable. 
So I've had this game on my shelf for a few years. Got it when it first came out, and it sat on my shelf for a very long time, and I finally got to play it, not even my copy. Uh, that's Sid Meier's Civilization, A New Dawn. Uh, so what is this? It's a streamlined version of Civilization. Civilization is, uh, Civ games are just kind of known or were known to be these huge, very long games, right? Like the first Civilization game took like five, six hours. Probably more, actually, I'd okay. say. I mean, you, it's like a sandbox. You can do whatever you want, so you can take it really slow or right. not. But that's the PC game. I don't know how the board game works, actually. So this one... Uh, streamlined it uh and it's kind of funny because when we were playing it i was like this is streamlined because there's a lot of stuff in it there it was a lo very long explanation and a lot of little details um and a lot of edge cases and um but I, and i don't want to get too much into it like you're just it, i mean think of a civ game and that's pretty much it you're exploring you're building stuff you could fight you, there's barbarians that come you could fight each other um what I want to talk about is the card system. The card system is really neat. So you have these cards lined up and they do different actions and they're on different spots, one through five. And, and the one through five is also different terrain. So depending on the card, it maybe has to do with the terrain. Like you can go um, through this terrain and lower than where the card's at. Or like say if you're fighting, you start with, if, say you're on the five spot. So you would start with five, then roll the dice and add it to that five. I would really like to see this card system implemented in other games. I thought it was a really neat card system. And for that type of game, which I'm not really that big on dudes on a map type games, um, but this one was okay. Like it it took, a, I think it was like just two hours, which is really short for this type of game. And it didn't feel like it was dragging. I, I had fun with it. Then that's pretty much all I could say about it. It was just, it was a fun experience. Um, I was a big fan of Civ 2 when I was younger, and it captures some of the best parts of Civ 2. At the beginning of the game, the barbarians are trying to wreck your face. But then as it goes on, the barbarians aren't the menace the other players are. The other right. players start taking your cities. Right, yeah. There's like very little player interaction at first. Mm -hmm. You kind of start spread out on the board, and you're kind of doing your own thing. You're kind of playing this little solo game, and you're, and you're fighting barbarians. And sometimes even somebody could take care of for the barbarians for you, so it almost feels co-op. And then the bar barbarians disappear because you cover up the spots where they spawn from, and now it's all-out war between all the players. So that was really cool how that ramped up as well. And that's exactly how it works in the computer game, so it was cool to see it captured like that. Um, it also captures the wonders from the computer game. You build like the pyramids, and it gives you a special ability for the rest of the game. That was one of the best parts of Civ. Yeah, and usually I don't like that in games where, you, where all players can keep getting special abilities, special abilities, because with that much player interaction you have to pay attention to what everybody's getting and that's just a lot to keep track of but in this it didn't it didn't bother me yeah it was either you or somebody else mentioned fantasy fight flight likes to do that put little texts on little tiny cards yeah and that's me four of them yeah. out to everybody yeah yeah uh yeah cards with a lot of text little tiny texts and paragraphs and yeah but all of that for some reason just didn't bother me this game was just like just like fun and not, i didn't take it very serious either i wasn't too worried if I was going to win or lose. It's just trying some goofy strategies. and you know. Right. Uh, there's a few different win conditions based on which goofy strategy you want to try and go for. Just like in Civ, you can go for a cultural victory or a science victory. How do they do that? 
you either build two blue wonders or two yellow wonders or two red wonders is kind of like the victory condition. You have to fulfill so many check marks among a bunch of random categories. Yeah, no points in this game. Just you have to fulfill three uh, victories, uh, and they're kind of they're put out randomly. They're on cards, and each card has two. So you have your choice of a lot of different things. And and I like that because you could see like, oh, they're about to win, so let's attack them. Right, that part wasn't hidden. Right. It doesn't end in a surprising way. It's not yeah, just like, yeah. oh, you had that card, what? Yeah, yep. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, Sid Meier's Civilization, A New Dawn. Nice. Um, I don't really like Civilization games that much. I think the uh, thing at the beginning that you were describing with the Barbarians is actually kind of interesting. Some games do that, like Cry Havoc, where you start fighting a neutral player, which I think is really cool because it gives like an exploration and story arc aspect of, to the game. Uh, and then you fight other players once you've gotten like stronger or gone through the neutral people. Um, maybe I should check it out, though. It sounds interesting. Uh, the game I played, the second game I played this week was Parks. Uh, Parks is actually kind of a very popular game for some reason right now, I think, is what people are saying. Um, it's getting sold out everywhere. It's kind of a rondel game. It's a very light game, in a way. Um, it's actually pretty light, yeah. Uh, I'd say it, uh, people say it's like Tokaido. I don't think it's like Tokaido. I think it's like a, a rondel, kind of like Heaven and Nail um, or Lignum or something where you go along a path of actions and there's a reason to actually go to the end of the path first or there's a reason to like lag behind to get more actions. Um, so the actions are actually basically collect resources. The theme of the game is you're exploring the national parks and actually the resources you get are like, um, I don't know, I'm not even sure how it fits with the theme, but like sun, water, like wood. Um, you go to the mountain to get mountain, actually. Uh, it's just like, I think like thematically, it's like experiences or something or hikes that you go on because you're a hiker along a path. Um, at the end of the round or in the middle of the round very infrequently, there's a card where you can buy a national park um, and they're basically a market of cards. They then then you score points. There's some engine mechanics. There's these, these canteens that you can get, which give you small conversion or exchange or kind of engine actions. Um, and that's basically the game is you go through four rounds, which symbolize four seasons and you go through a year and you acquire some cards and you take some pictures and it all feels nice. And that's kind of the game. Um, I actually had fun with it. Um, for me, it's maybe a little bit too light, but it was actually kind of a pleasant game. I probably wouldn't say no if someone wanted to play it. Um, I can see why it's popular. It like hits a nice um, mixture of kind of simple but with things that more experienced people can kind of be interested in like engine building and set collection and special abilities kind of things this game suffered for for me like the theme i think the theme is really cool i like the idea of it but trekking the national parks put a real like <laughs> sour taste in my mouth for this type of game and i shouldn't think like since one type of game with this theme uh, was bad that all, you know, like themes are just themes, but it really did that to me. When I saw Parks, it just like gave me PTSD <laughs> of trekking. Is that from the Mentai guy? Is it that version? No, trekking is actually um, a game that we played here to try it, I think. Yeah. 
But it just tarnished the theme for you. <laughs> it really did. It was very much like a like Ticket to Ride style game and just like felt really just vanilla. I, I think guess. it was actually worse than Ticket to Ride. It was just like yeah. really like basic and really just boring, like yeah. aggressively boring is how I would describe <laughs> the game for some reason. It's up in your face. Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> like kicking it's your just, face with boredom. Yeah, no, it, it's weird. It, like, I don't know. I Almost felt like a mass market game. Like, I feel like that's like a beginning design and then you add more stuff to it yeah. or something. That's that's what I that's what it felt like. There should have been just like more stuff to do. There's just like too simple and kind of. But anyway, no, actually, I kind of agree with Brandon just because of that game. I look at those games with like, eh, I don't know how I feel about this, but I had fun with Parks. Uh, it, 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 it was a good game. There's also like Cairns now and stuff, and there's a lot of like hiking games. So that's like maybe a new trend or something, which is weird because that's a weird theme to put in board games in particular. But I mean, it sounds like it would be tough to design for me if there if somebody came to me and said design a hiking game, I'd be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> abstract. <laughs> I'm going to make it abstract. <laughs> There's yeah. actually a tile, tile lane game called Summit that I have that we need to play, which is about climbing a mountain. There's also K2, uh, not K2. It's K2. It it's K2, yeah. which I've been really interested in, which I also have. And anyway, there's some games with outdoor stuff. Um, I played Splatter's Take on Civilization Building. I played Antiquity for the first time. Um, it had some of the stuff that I liked from Civ 2 that your civilization game didn't have in Civ 2 if it was always fun to zoom in on your cities and micromanage them not just manage these big broad wars but say hey i want to build a marketplace in this city or a university to get more coins or science or something and antiquity captures that really well um, all these different buildings have different costs and they're a different polyomino shape and you have to fit them into your city grid and so that's going to affect you know how productive the city is and then every time you build a new city you get a new grid and so you can build more buildings right um that was really fun um it, very indirect conflict right because it's euro there's no dice rolling and trying to beat each other you're just racing each other to forests and trees and one of the victory points is surrounding a neighbor so it, that can seem pretty violent um <laughs> uh siege and it had it i would just say it's like you would know it was a splatter game um there's the just like in Indonesia and food chain magnet, like the central mechanism of the game, the most interesting thing in its execution is actually really fiddly, right? <laughs> it's once per round, the game grinds to a halt for four minutes while we move chits around the board. But it's a small price to pay. I really like the game. I really like Splatter, and I see why this is one of the big five. I think this is the last of the big five that I haven't played, so now I've played all of them. Actually, that sounds really good. Maybe I should look at it because um, what I I played Civilization just actually one uh, back in the day, like the first one, and I there was a game that came out uh, about the same time called Colonization, where you colonize America, um, which was very related to Civilization, very like the same designer, I think, said Meyer, uh, similar graphics, everything very similar, except you could 
zoom into the cities and build particular buildings and even assign people to the particular buildings. And you recruit people from England and you bring them in and they're skilled and you can like teach other people. And it has like a whole like basically worker placement aspect yes. to the game, which is which was pro actually probably the most interesting part of the game to me. I forgot Exploration to and worker placement. Antiquity has that. You build the buildings, but that's not just enough. You have a limited number of workers and round to round you decide which workers you want to assign to which buildings yeah. it's it's great so actually that sounds really interesting maybe i should look at it look at the game because of that because i really am not huge on like the civ aspect of like warfare and like some guy shows up and he's like give me your gold and you're like nuke him or something because you're like super out there no it's very eurofied <laughs> now i will give you a warning i don't really care about components and art and stuff but this is the ugliest game i have ever seen and it's not even close your stigils are like a drowning gof gopher or like some kind of like deranged raptor and it just looks like it's drawn by a three-year-old like a right-handed three-year-old with his left hand it is bad uh. and the theme is so weird it's set in like 1050 ad but it's all about pollution management which just seems anachronistic to me. It does. Mm -hmm. It seems like everything was super sustainable back then. I don't know. It didn't seem, <laughs> you know, That's it weird. seems like it was just green meadows and everything's fine. Maybe wait for the inevitable new edition or reprint or something. It really could use a reskin and no, they just did roads and boats. Yeah. I think two years from now, we're going to get antiquity. Maybe. 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's spotter games for you, right? They all, they mm -hmm. look like prototypes and then charge. <laughs> so much yeah. <laughs> yeah kind of strange but we'll buy them um that's all the games i want to talk about um i just a uh, quick mention for caper i've previously played caper i played it again a uh, really fun game of fighting over three things in the middle there's a whole genre genre of things that is basically you fight uh majority style for three different items between you they might be castles or in this case they're like locations where you perform capers and steal things uh the game is really cool drafting game pretty much designed for two i think there's variants for three and four which i'd like to try and actually that's maybe part of why i played a two-player game too uh, i like the game but also i want to like get enough people to understand the game because you need to understand the game to play the three or four player variant which i just want to try because it sounds so bizarrely weird um drafting card game where you play cards on your side of the three things and you're thematically playing these cool spies not spies um basically like criminals <laughs> with equipment to perform heists and steal things thematically art and perform capers to get points it's about points in the end there's no really there is actually some conflict and take that but it's um very fascinating game because you swap your hands all the time so you might give cards to your opponent. But anyway, it's a really cool two-player game. Just a quick mention for Caper. Yeah, I that's like, about it for me, too. I uh, like Caper. I've been obsessed with Barrage, so I've played that like four times. It's still great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was some games that we played. Up next will be some games that we're looking forward to. Um... We have recently gotten pictures of the prototype of a Gaia Project expansion. Um, wasn't pumped about it until the Terra Mystica expansion came out, and it was just so cool to me that now I'm excited for the Gaia Project expansion. They bend the game in different ways. So just some of the elements it's adding. Uh, new bonus cards. Who cares? I'm not bored with the old ones. 
uh, but there's these things called anomalies. They look like big giant black holes and they actually take up four hexes and it looks like you deliver to them, which is kind of how uh, the new Terra Mystica expansion worked. So it seems like we're maybe going to be doing some of that, but with Gaia Project. Um, you have this new uh, mission board, which looks like a control panel. It kind of reminds me of the uh, little tech tree in uh, Pulsar. You know, you have to build up from the bottom and then the, the top and then the... So you just have these own little mini goals that you can do during the game to check off. And then uh, Gaia Project has these green cubes called QIC that you do special, really powerful actions with. And now they have, it looks like just giant QIC that you do specialer and more powerful actions with. They're like forerunner technology <laughs> and they're these big hunks of plastic. And I guess you just turn them in for really cool things. Um, so it'll be a long time before it comes out, but when it does, I'm sure it's going to be good because these guys don't miss with expansions. Every single one has just blown my mind. Yeah, that sounds really good, actually. Uh, I have a concern that these games might like bloat to five expansions or something in the end, and that might be a little weird, but we'll there's, see how There's it already goes, another Terra Mystica one in the pipeline, too. Oh, my gosh. So there's like, ugh, I don't know. Hey, I don't know here's what they're doing, though. They're making them not compatible with each other. This okay. next one, they're saying... If you're playing with this one, don't <laughs> so, play with number two and three. Yeah. I was going to say, so in the end, you're playing a game with like six modules, basically, and they're all doing different things, and the explanation for new players is like an hour and a half, and you're just like, anyway, yeah. no, it's, that's what I was concerned about, but it sounds like they're handling it well, so, okay. All right, so the games I'm looking forward to are more just like games of interest. I'm just kind of interested in them. I don't know if I'm really looking forward to them, but um, bees... Uh, B-E-E-Z, um, is a new game by Next Move Games, which is Plan B's abstract games that have a four-letter word. Or four numbers in the case of 5211. Uh, it's a first-time designer. Players compete to optimize their flight plans to secure nectar for their hive. Um, I... I I like these games. They're like simple, abstract games that look really pretty. I haven't played... All of them, but the ones I've had played, I just kind of like. So I like the theme of bees and planning routes and whatnot. So yeah, it looks cool. Um, the next one is My City coming out from Cosmos. It's a Reiner Knizia competitive legacy game. Uh, so I'm just curious on like what Reiner Knizia can do with a legacy game. Um, and, I'll, and then the last one is Welcome to New Las Vegas. So it's it's basically so it's not an expansion for Welcome to. Welcome to has several expansions like the summer, the spring, outbreak, um, all kinds of like kooky expansions that it's just like a new pad and a couple of cards. But this is a whole new game, so it's a whole new box where you're building up Vegas, uh, like casinos and hotels and avenues, golf courses. So. I like Welcome To, so it'd be cool to see it rethemed. Um, yeah, that's some games I'm looking forward to. Does it still have the same mechanics? It's like divide stuff from it's, Welcome To. Yeah, it's like the same thing. You flip three cards, so you have okay. choices of it's just three themed. things. It's just Vegas themed, I guess. Uh, yeah, but it says that there's new mechanisms. Uh, cool. They didn't go into too much about that, but you do have two different sheets this time. One is like you're working on it, and the other one is to keep score. So it seems like kind of a bigger game. Yeah, yeah. Sounds interesting, actually. Yeah. I really like Welcome to It's a cool game. 
Um, all right. The games that I'm looking forward to is actually uh, we played uh, Cusco this week uh, with some kind of significantly wrong rule, but it's okay. We'll, we can play it again. Um, I got kind of excited about playing it again just because it looked the play was really nice with the wrong stuff. So I'm hoping it's going to be even better with the good stuff. But it also made me want to play Toluva, which I've had for a while. Um, kind of another like hex stacking game where 3D matters. Like you want to be high on tiles and you build a terrain out of them, which there aren't really that many games like that out there. And Toluva was supposed to be a really good one. So just kind of looking forward to trying that sometime this week. Um, Rajas of the Ganges modules or the Goody Box 1 is another thing that I'm looking forward to. I really like Rajas. Uh, it is a little bit linear, though, and I'm hoping that the Goody Box with the minimal thing that it, that it changes uh, introduces some kind of a slightly different way to play because I feel like there's kind of one way to play. And that's what's kind of ironic. When you first learn it, you're like, oh, cool, you have to balance gold and do different things with gold and victory <laughs> points in a thing. And then you realize, no, actually, it's just one big long line that you just hit your marketplaces yeah. over and over again and then win. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, hopefully that's going to change up the similar to the Terra Mystic expansion. Hopefully, maybe I'm hoping for too much, but to change like the meta or something of the game, at least in, in the beginning. So there's not one thing to push. There's two things to push with the mango tree or something. That, well, that's my hope. Now, I have played with the mango tree before and it does. It, okay. it at least it's very cool nice nice uh, another game that i just recently got uh was uh clinic and that's an alban vr uh game which i kind of follow that designer i'm a little bit of a fan i guess he's a french guy he teaches mathematics uh the only game we've played played here is actually tramways he's designed some city games which are like kind of weird and uh mathy <laughs> um if there's any criticisms for, for his games i think they're a little bit like too mathy and maybe too much ap inducing uh clinic is a game where you build like a clinic um with doctors and stuff and it has like a 3d element so the clinic is like in on three floors or something and you get benefits for stacking things in 3d he likes 3d uh, he has a 3d kind of city building up high uh game and you want st- to like you want to think do things like vertically and horizontally um stack offices or whatever to combine them for points and i actually can't remember too much about it but i just uh remember being kind of excited about it so hopefully we'll get that played someday um, it was really hard to get for a while wasn't it uh, it just came out on Kickstarter, but I think it might. Oh, there was a first edition, if I remember correctly, which ran out, was just yeah. out of stock. And he sells them from his website, like personally. Um, and now he did a Kickstarter, which was just like a redesign plus some slight module that was a different one, I think. So, oh, no, this is cool. I remember wanting to play this in 2014, and now yeah, we yeah. can. Yeah. So I just got it like last week. So that should be good. And that's the games I'm looking forward to. All right. So then up next is our topic of randomness. Randomness. Speaking of randomness, Christo has an update on the Simon time machine. 
Yeah, that's something that I was looking forward to like four weeks ago now. <laughs> I was going to talk about it uh, last podcast, but we didn't get to it. Uh, just a quick update. Uh, so Simon Time Machine, if you don't remember what it is, it's basically Simon redoing some uh, supposedly exclusives. But are they exclusives? I don't know, because Time Machine, you are transported back in time and you can still get them. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> basically, it's like clearance of their warehouses, how they're saying it is. But uh, it had like the most popular ones, I think, were the Blood Rage exclusives, maybe some Rising Sun exclusives that people didn't get. There's a lot of there was a lot of like Mass Mora stuff and like Dogs of War is actually something I was interested in. And then there was. Um, Oh gosh, I can't remember. Just basically all Simon games, like old Kickstarter exclusives. Uh, the Simon Time Machine went exactly how I thought it was going to be. Um, there was an opening time uh, for previous backers where uh, you go in and you start ordering stuff from like a storefront. I think it was 9 a.m. Mountain Time. It was like 10 a.m. Central or something is what what it was. Um, I was actually refreshing the website, the good old like F5, uh, the minute before it opened and everything was actually running. And I was really surprised because usually like it's down by then because everyone's refreshing and it's like down, it doesn't load. And then this, as soon as it hit like nine, it just like crashed. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I, you basically hit like F5 and you have to like wait like two minutes for the website to load. And when it loaded, a lot of things are gone. <laughs> so, so that's actually kind of exactly how it went. Uh, I did get some interesting things, though. Uh, like I say, Dogs of War is probably the, the thing that I'm more more interested in. And the World of Smog actually is another one where I wanted some exclusives. That's a game we haven't played, but like older, like way old games. The thing that ran out immediately, I think, was basically the Blood blood rage stuff i think that's what a lot of people were waiting for at least the the one that i noticed um but yeah that's pretty much it um i think there's actually some st still some stuff left there but the popular things are kind of gone and they were gone within like 15 minutes most of them so that's about it i don't know uh what are you guys saying comments? i don't know why you put yourself Tears. through that <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Um, I really kind of don't like Simon because of things like this. Uh, but yeah, there's I mean, no equivalent for me. There's no game that I have that has Kickstarter exclusives that you can't get. Yeah, the, unfortunately for Dogs of War and World of Smog, there's exclusives which like add to gameplay or are gameplay related. Um, basically different characters that you can choose and like in World of Smog it's like ridiculous there's like four in the game and four which are Kickstarter exclusive so you like don't get it and I don't know it's 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 kind of bad if you don't get exclusives to me you can still play the game just fine it just kind of makes me like there's a completionist thing that it triggers in me that I, I'm missing stuff we were actually talking about it with Lords of Hellas um, another game with exclusives unfortunately the for Lords of Hellas like there's even a printed place on the board for a huge temple which is missing and it's just like every time you open the board and look at the map that space just like glares at you and like you're missing this thing man I don't know. At least that's what it feels like to me. But uh, maybe you don't care about the exclusives that much. 
the Euro games don't do stuff like that. It's just <laughs> miniatures players. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of true, actually. Yeah, they're they're all miniatures related in Dogs of War and World of Smog as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. But they exist. Exclusives are a thing, and uh, I think it's still open. Simon, uh, time machine. Yeah. I, I doubt by the time you listen to this, there's anything going to be. Well, I'm sure they're on the well. secondary market for just more money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Someone posted something and we have a chat going on and people resell that stuff for like 10 times the price. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, that's what happens when you run things like that. So anyway, that's the quick update. Yeah. All right. So randomness in games. Good. Bad. Necessary. Risto is going to lead us in this topic um i was just actually thinking about randomness and when we hear randomness uh or we talk about if the game is random or not or it's too random or whatever but i get flashbacks to basically rolling dice in the games that we grew up with um that's my immediate go-to when i hear about randomness like uh, you think about rolling dice in monopoly rolling dice in like sorry or trouble or or cheesy or whatever you played um so that's kind of like what i immediately equate randomness to but as i was thinking about it is this all there is to the concept of randomness i don't know um i think there's randomness from other places as well and actually randomness i maybe for me is not such a bad thing i think it's just like lack of control which is not necessarily the same thing in games uh, that i did not like for the with the games that i uh, kind of grew up with or some of them actually um just some questions to kick us off with can you be in control of randomness can randomness actually be good well, let's talk about it and find out. So, where does where does randomness come come from? Uh, so, where... I have a question. What's the difference between randomness and luck, or is there much of a difference? Mm, I actually didn't think about luck at all. Uh, like the difference between randomness and luck. They have different connotations. Luck seems to be <laughs> complete randomness, whereas randomness right. means you're making decisions okay, and so... getting one of a few variable outcomes if you're rolling a dice it's completely random if you're flipping a card and you've played the game a lot you know you know what cards could be flipped so it's random but it's not luck necessarily i guess uh to me luck is just like a favorable outcome of randomness gotcha the i i yeah that's pretty much it. it's like you got lucky or unlucky because something random happened that's how i look at luck yeah, luck seems to be the opposite of skill. There's a spectrum from luck to skill. Randomness seems to just throw a wrench in the machine, and sometimes the person who played better didn't win. I think because of randomness. I think if a if a game is void of randomness, you're playing an abstract game, right? Yeah, right. yeah, I have that on uh, here. Yeah, think of Puerto Rico very abstract there's only one element of randomness and it's the order that plantations come out with right right feels so much more abstract than the games that are designed 10 years after it mm, it's true possibly uh i actually have puerto rico we're kind of jumping ahead i had like a whole thing uh going on here but let's uh, let's go let's rewind what was the actual question before i, I messed you where, up the, with my where question? does randomness <laughs> come from 
what what sources of randomness can you think so, so to kick it off basically like i say the media jump to is dice for me like right. dice are like the first thing that i jump to it's just like uh that's the obvious one because you're rolling something and it's like could be one or six in the classic D D6 example if like it's a D20 it's like could be one or 20 which is just even more hilarious and that stigma that you're talking about for Monopoly casts its shadow over all these games that we're getting today and it maybe shouldn't I don't think Monopoly is bad because of the random die roll I think it's bad because it's too easy of a game to make the right decisions right uh, people I think underestimate uh, how soon um dice converge to what they should be long term in monopoly you roll the dice like 500 times you can't really say that you're unlucky or unlucky in monopoly because there's so many die rolls that you're not going to get much luckier or unluckier than somebody else why does especially in the variants where you have like a thousand dollars on free parking no one goes broke and it's an eight hour slog why is the game bad because it's a bad game and then so later when there's dice rolling in like grand austria hotel or pulsar People might think, oh, this looks like Monopoly. Oh, I'm getting so screwed when really it's a game of skill. Yeah, Monopoly, I think like the, the beginning dice rolls are very important. Like your first like five turns probably. Uh, but anyway, like I was saying, I think it's just like the lack of control for me. That's uh, not yeah, good there. I, I played Monopoly Gamer about a year ago. Uh, which people were saying was much better than Monopoly, but I was having the same problems where I was getting unlucky. I would roll and I wouldn't land on spaces that I wanted to land on. And that had nothing to do with my skill level. It was pure luck, you know. Um, where else can randomness come from? Card flips. Yep. Hidden That's spots on second. the board, yeah. right, that are that are revealed yep. later on so you don't know what's what's coming. Yep card deals i think like uh basically card games like the initial deal is a big deal huh We're bad players right actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that that's a good point i have like uh, that's a non-obvious source of kind of randomness to me as uh the other people's brains and that's like uh, less of an issue in a two-player game because like there's only one other person but in a four-player game like just the things that people go for or the people the people's that they they think about to the actions to take that they think about uh can influence your game so to your example of puerto rico actually i think that's a good, great example of like the game looks very non-random there's from the the mechanics of the game but like uh some new player like sits to the right of you and chooses like freaking produce every time or something or to the right of someone um and the person to their left then ships every time and it's like <laughs> yeah yeah the person i guess the, that's kind of random in a way well the, the person it's just on the like right psychological randomness i guess in a way <laughs> if the person on the right of puerto rico is uh, uh new to the game or just a bad player and isn't paying attention to the person on the left and picks an action that's more prosperous for the person on the left than it is for them picking the action, that seems pretty random because nobody else is expecting it, right? Yeah. You're like, this is what they should do. This is the obvious choice. This is probably what they w will do, so I'll prepare my mind for that. Then all of a sudden, they, they pick something that's like seems like they picked it out of a hat, right? And ironically, the solution to this is game designers adding in random elements because when it's very chessy, new players ruin it like you know how fragile food chain magnet is 
if a noob comes in and puts down like one rob, wrong billboard, that butterfly affects and tanks the whole game. Yeah, Ditto yeah. Puerto Rico. Yep, yep, These are all yeah. things that are supposedly not random at all <laughs> and yeah. would probably benefit from some top decking, some yeah. things to mitigate new players. Yep. Uh, just other things. I kind of have like devices listed in general, things like spinners, uh, which are not very seen frequently now. Someone made a well, Montana, I think, had a spinner most, most recently, which was kind of looked down on uh, widely, I think. Um, there's like a rake in Via Appia, like the staircase and tumbling dice, like bowl mixers, like whatever potion explosions or potion explosion, one potion explosion. Um, coin flips, Cult Adventure, Nantucket yeah. actually uses like coin flips, like actually flip coins. So, so the, those are like the, the other things that I had as far as devices. Uh, one other non-obvious thing that I thought about, starting positions uh, and starting round positions. Um, we were talking about how awesome uh, Italian designers are with this before the show with Matt. But I think that's actually an issue with pretty much all of their games, uh, unfortunately, is like the game starting position and the round starting position is can lead to some randomness. I would argue that in Lorenzo, whoever's first player can benefit or not by cards being lower on the towers or the dice roll. Uh, whoever's like in some position in Terramara can benefit from going first in a certain round where some cards are like cheaper, uh, basically like situational things that can happen to you. Um, and actually, I would say in abstract games, that's an issue. Uh, a lot of abstract games have like a first player advantage pretty much uh, because you can go in a position that's better. And the way they solve it is you can like swap with... Uh, first person takes a move, the second person can swap and take a move or not. I think that's how some abstract games yeah. solve it. Or like tack or talk, however the, whatever tack, the tack. tack yeah. uh, it just suggests playing two games. Yeah. Like a best out of three. For the World Chess Championship, obviously, they play the same number as of black yeah. games as white games. Uh, um, with the Italian guys, in like Lorenzo, being first is really beneficial but you have to waste a turn to get there. So I think that's a little bit of mitigation. Yes, that is definitely mitigation. The first player action being bad is actually the way a lot of worker placement games solve it. Yeah. And then as far as faction setup, um, Lorenzo fixes itself with an auction. So yeah, that it doesn't auction, have to yeah. perfectly balance the families. The auction is taking less resources than everyone else for a good family. So then maybe you're a bit slower with that awesome family yep and but if you're playing with bad players they're just gonna let you have it for all these resources and you're gonna have a really good time yeah um that's why you have to play enough to for the auction to be meaningful yeah right you right. can't just um but we've played barrage enough now that last time we did an auction for factions in barrage and uh we were willing to pay 25 points for a certain combo is there an action i mean is there a variant for for auctions we made one because oh, okay. just one of the combos just was draft overpowered. Them, right? yeah <laughs> you just <laughs> like, draft them in the beginning right yeah. but that is not anywhere close enough to because how what do you compensate for getting to pick your faction last you get to go first in the game 
That's not balanced. Right, right. <laughs> well, like I say, Terramara is the same way. I think some factions might be better than others. We haven't played it enough to know exactly. But, but that game needs an auction too. Don't be afraid to auction. Just because the rule book doesn't say you can't auction doesn't mean you shouldn't yeah. auction. Which are basically all like those Italian guys' mm-hmm. games. Is the, what, what I was saying is like uh, the faction you pick and the resources you pick and the way the board is when the game starts might just benefit someone like pretty massively and, and it's a butterfly effect again like it's just like an ongoing like snowball and there. this isn't to say that the factions are poorly designed they're fun and i want factions that have that are dynamic and break the game in different ways and so there's no way that i can expect them to all be perfectly balanced so i like they have flavor in the game i just to make it fair you have to be able to auction for them Yep. Another source of randomness that I actually have that I wanted to mention, which is um, kind of a knock on the games I like, is um, investment in some kind of strategy which may may or may not be revealed in time or at low cost. Uh, basically, a lot of engine building games are uh, vulnerable to this. I'd say 51st State, Race for the Galaxy, Res Arcana, First Class, Terraforming Mars, Lorenzo as well with the position on towers. Basically, cards can come out which just happen to work for someone or you might draw them. And the game usually does include some kind of elements to like flex or you know fight against bad draws or usually it's like multi-use cards or something. But in some games, like you can just meet less resistance to the strategy you choose. Like in Lorenzo, you can go for you can be going for like some kind of a stone conversion, and the stone conversion car can be on the first place of the tower or the highest place in the tower, mm-hmm. and like that's just random. Fifty uh, first state, you can top deck some card that works with like you, the conversion you chose or the production you have or not. And yes, you can like raise it, and yes, you can pay more for the higher positions in Lorenzo, and that's fine. But it is costing more to achieve your strategy where you wouldn't have to pay that much if it just if you just got lucky, basically. And unfortunately, like I say, games work around it with um, a lot of ways. But I'd say um, it's definitely a source of randomness. Just um, those are ha- smaller in-game cards. Recently, games have been making big in-game victory point cards a moving target. Like in Maracaibo, it doesn't show you every round a new card comes out. <laughs> in Paladins, every round a new end-game goal comes out. You don't just get to see all the end-game goals until like round three. Actually, I kind of really hate that in Maracaibo, that aspect of the game. The rest of the game is fine, but like round four comes and you've played your whole game pretty much like there's no way you're gonna like oh i'm just gonna do something else now you've pretty much invested in something and someone might get a lot of points for it or not based on just like the random flip Uh, (laughs) same thing in paladins i feel like in paladins i guess which buildings to start building and i hope the end game well out for that the the salvation for paladins is like the first three of seven rounds so you can still argue that that's right four you can start doing the thing that came out oh yeah it's like in twa you get three rounds and then you play two more and then it. you play a few more rounds. Yeah, Maracaibo is worse than Paladins. You can actually build a strategy around it. In Maracaibo, like the game is like seventy-five percent over, and you you pretty much there's no way to like start on the goal that right. reveals that card you flips either. and you go, oh, that's, that's never happening for me. What I, was I thinking? Yeah, I, no, I was like, uh, I'm going to visit like. 10 towns in one round <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's just it's just not happening you either visited 10 towns previously or something or not and, uh, yeah. is it possible to know all the 
the cards that could come out because like in twa you plan for a lot of different in-game conditions now yeah. how many cards are in this in twa there's six cards and so you're either doing three or four of them uh-huh. in maracaibo there's eight so that's not a lot okay so eventually like 50, you, 50. you could it benefits from playing the game several times because then you could kind of guess but then uh, i don't know you can't really do that in maracaibo like you can in twa kind of plan for everything Right, it's 50-50 from yeah. the outset, but by yeah. the time there's only one card left, it's one in five. Um, I think something that does this the worst is card rivers, right? Card rivers could be really bad because you take a card that's okay, then it flips, and that's the card you really want, and the next player gets it. I would say card markets more than rivers because the design of the river is the new flip is the most expensive one usually, so you pay more for it, but like deck building games are pretty like I'd say bad as far as randomness, as far as that goes, because right. usually the cost is built on the cards yeah. and there's Doesn't no additional costs. So you might flip something awesome for the next person. And that's, that's how Imaginarium was with a card river. It came out and it was really expensive. So most likely that new card flip that could be good players aren't getting it immediately or they're getting it an increased cost which is fine for yeah. luck yeah. i guess right. i like increased costs and length in card rivers yeah i want games to start having clowny long card rivers <laughs> like just, 10 yeah no like 10 cards. long and it's like 115 <laughs> coins at the start <laughs> that's just ridiculous i don't know um hidden information could also be some randomness right like cards in your hand anything that or, flips yeah anything that's unknown that flips or, or i mean your hand of cards right i don't know what's in your hand oh yeah any kind of hidden information could be considered random which six which is acceptable and fun to me unless i have seen you pick up that card and i'm supposed to remember it i don't right, like the random right. i randomly forget things because of course i will and then so now something is random that shouldn't be this happened in the case of linko recently where i got two cards stolen from me um at the end of the game and it allowed me to grab two more cards that just ha- gave me four tens that i played down and ended the game oh did you top deck the tens no no i didn't mm-hmm. top deck them i just took them because the pe- person didn't know that i was holding two tens in my hand and there was two tens on the table to take they took two cards from me thinking that it would prolong the game when in fact, I just took those two tens, laid down four, end the game. Ah, what a noob. Talk about that Puerto Rico problem. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, is randomness bad for you guys? Is it a problem in general? Is it a problem, is it a problem in general? And is it a problem for you and why? Um, I really like it. Um, I kind of don't <laughs> believe in it too. I think if you play a game enough with enough trials there's no such thing as randomness you just whenever a bad card flip happens just comfort yourself knowing that time is a flat circle and that is a flat in all circle. of the different universes other <laughs> cards came out and that if you just make the right decisions long term you're going to win more games you just have to comfort yourself with that basically play the odds is what you're saying yeah. which yeah. i which is what i do yeah sure randomness yeah. in games turns into a game of statistics right uh for me there is a spectrum though like if it's if it's short and fun i don't really mind um if it's adding like a fog of war aspect to it like some war games do i don't really mind dice rolling dice rolling in euro games i don't like if if they can't be mitigated or if they're just me rolling, like 
Lorenzo, Grand Austria, the dice roll is determining kind of everybody. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I was actually gonna, gonna go into, there's a buzzword, I guess that I was hearing in the game designers channels <laughs> of input versus output randomness. Basically what it comes down to is like, do you roll to resolve stuff or do you roll to deal with stuff? Uh, meaning like roll to resolve is like kind of resolution for battles like carry mm -hmm. controls or something like did i beat you or not or how many spaces do i move uh input randomness is kind of like i get a roll and i can modify it or do some different things with it so you get some randomness on the input side like things are coming in that are random but you make a decision and the what you get out of the roll might be a different thing depending on what you choose and i think definitely um the or input randomness or whatever creates really interesting decisions whereas output randomness is just luck and it's like it feels really bad sometimes and i think older games have plenty of output randomness of like basically you do some action to roll dice and hope that it's good but then you have uh really old games like dune who did uh like the battle resolution is like really good it's it's cards right yeah i'm talking about like monopoly and like mass right, market right, games right. with lots yeah. of dice like roll to moves yeah that's that's a lot of games uh as far as randomness actually for me for me um uh it's only a problem if it takes away too much control for me i, I, I like the feeling of control and that kind of generally clashes with uh with randomness in games and if you lose too much control i think it's just like makes the game boring and um it's bad but it's good if it can if it creates uh interesting decisions it's good for excitement actually that's something i've, I've yeah. been thinking yeah. about um lately is like if you make a game which is not random at all it kind of kind of turns into like a chessy just kind of not so great of a game in in my opinion uh if you have some randomness a good measure of randomness um it makes the game kind of exciting it makes uh, an element of exploration uh, always includes an element of randomness and yes you should mitigate it or make multi-use ways to use it or something or have balanced rewards obviously you don't have like bad and good rewards to to make a good game i think but it i think the excitement that comes from randomness is actually worthwhile in games for sure Christo, it seems like you have a sweet spot because you're using the word luck pejoratively and you're using the word chessy pejoratively. So I yes. don't think you like either no, end that, of the spectrum. That's actually exactly what I have here in my notes is um, I there's a sweet spot somewhere in the middle um, because the, the, there's a game that's too random and actually I didn't think I would have a problem with games that are too deterministic, but I think I do have a pro problem with games that are too deterministic because they just turn into like these boring kind of lifeless games uh i do like games that are deterministic which have high player interactions but that's almost like randomness coming from players mm -hmm. or something because they change the game by the random things that they do around them for you because they try different things so that kind of freshens up the game but if the game is very like solitaire and very not random it's kind of a very boring solo optimization puzzle, which is just kind of blah for me. Yeah, so like something like Newton, where you you look at the board and you you uh, you strategize your entire game, 
and hope that and it's just kind of scripted after that, right? You know exactly what you're going to do. There's some interaction with Newton, but it, for the me, cards, it's not enough. Yeah. That's like a really good example of like low. And then there's games that uh, change from round to round or even turn from turn because of randomness that makes it so you're switching your strategy mid-game or even maybe mid-turn. And to me, that adds more excitement if uh, if I'm constantly having to reevaluate what's happening. And actually, you mentioned, Brandon, something with games, um, like push-your-luck games. They're actually kind of a weird genre when speaking about randomness because they're all about randomness. That's right. like the main feature of the game is randomness. And I do like those as well, even though the randomness, randomness is over the top, obviously, yeah. by, by the game design. But I think uh, the the key there, as you were saying, is they have to be kind of on the shorter side and maybe on kind of, they're all about excitement. I think right. they, they need to be all about excitement because if they're not all about excitement, then it's just like a bad game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, like Can't Stop, like Celestia, Ink and Gold or something, mm -hmm. they're just all about randomness. Like it's like if you fail, you better push harder next time yeah. or something. And but then you, you're the given end. a choice, right, to back out and leave with your winnings or keep going. It's like this gambler in us that, that, it, that it awakens in these games. Whereas a game that you just like roll dice only, um, like Chupacabra dice or... Uh, is it called wasabi? Wasabi dice, I think. Wasabi dice, where you're just rolling dice and like kind of seeing what, what happens. Just wasabi, yeah, yeah. And you I have no real game. choices. You just like roll and see, roll and see, roll and check, you know? Whereas like um, press your luck games, you have that choice to back out. And that's what makes it fun is like I'm pressing and oh my gosh, it works out and everybody yells hooray or whatever. <laughs> or you fail and everybody laughs, you know? The most fun anyone of anyone playing any game ever is actually roulette at a casino it's not a board game but all they're doing is rolling the dice and hoping it happens and that's the most excited anyone ever is at any game ever have you ever walked by a roulette table i thought roulette was the spinny thing oh i and meant to say craps craps yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, what? they're just they jumping roll? up and down and yelling and they're having way more fun that's than the right new yeah players. When i've seen it in movies yeah, you know, it, I don't know how to play it. Maybe it, like that's why they put that in movies a lot is because it's the most exciting okay, and then um, thing to watch. You walk by the Hold'em table and it's just a bunch of it's people. Quiet, yeah, serious. just like the guy on the cover of Hansa Teutonica, really. Yeah. Just with headphones and yeah. <laughs> it's true, actually. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, as far as fun, poker is not the most fun game. You because it's on the other end of the face. luck spectrum. Oh, yeah, yeah probably. I mean, you're reading faces. That's what you're doing in poker, right? And you're knowing the statistics, right? What is likely to come out and not, and when to bow out. Yeah, it's really chessy, actually. And press your lucky. Yeah, I would say it's a chess game where at the end of the game, you roll a dice, and a quarter of the time, the loser wins and the winner loses. You know, that's what it kind of seems like to me. Yeah. Yep. Um, anyway, we kind of talked about it throughout, but what are some ways to mitigate randomness and like maybe games that mitigate randomness well? Is I think the lazy man's way is instead of drawing one card, you draw four, discard draw three. Draw four, choose one. Yeah. Just like the lazy, like throw right. in a, That's for a concession cards. to a Euro, That's Euro gamer. Yeah. Dice, I would say like Castles of Burgundy. You can get workers to throw them away to up or lower the dice. Yep. Lorenzo does it, Pulsar does it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like the pay-per-pip thing. Santa Maria also has that. You can pay coins to increase and decrease by one. That's a really cool way. I actually really like flipping dice. Uh, Raja's is like, Raja's actually like a nice study of like how to deal with randomness. There's multiple ways that that game does it, but I really like the flippy way. There's an entire track for karma which is you can turn a two into a five and like six into a one Mm -hmm. which is really cool i think another way rajas does it is like there's specific actions for specific numbers so if you roll like a three or something it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. there's multiple ways multi-use ways for to use dice i was gonna say uh the game design could mitigate it for you like that for an example or like uh alien frontiers where every spot isn't just high dice you don't want high dice always you want maybe um um, a mixture of so if you roll and you rolled all low you're not just out of the round you have places to go yeah they're good for different actions they're good for different ways to use them and they're not like a particular number is not bad or good right that's by the game design i think that's a really good way of dealing with it artemis project does a cool thing where sixes will get you a lot of resources but after the lower dice have gone so if you slot in a one you're guaranteed to get one and then Mm -hmm. six will get six if there are six left over uh, how do you feel about rerolls? I actually don't like rerolls that much. They're featured <laughs> that is in not mitigation. They're featured in Champions <laughs> of Midgard. Yeah, they call that one out. Yeah, they're just a little bit pressure lucky for me because yes, you can uh, roll one and you want high numbers, and then you pay for reroll and you get another one, and you yeah. pay for reroll and you get another one. And I was cool, say, good job. You how many times have I spent? <laughs> sometimes you spend money or or tokens to reroll. How many times have I done that and gotten worse or the same? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> like what are the odds but it happens yeah. but uh to champions of midgard's defense they did some really cool mitigation with the expansion whereas if your people die which people are dice uh that's a good thing because you get colored chits matching them and you could pay those for resources to get uh points or special abilities and i found myself in that game in one particular turn re-rolling to try to kill my guys so i can get those so i could get the thing i wanted which was kind of interesting but um i think that was a really good way to mitigate dice rolls is if you fail at least you're not getting zero you're getting something out of it yeah i know matt doesn't like that game but yeah i'd say the expansion actually improves the treatment of bad roles Valhalla in particular yeah for sure uh, the, the mountain what is it called mountain uh not trolls mountain King. It's, mountain uh, trolls. it's something with the green one whatever it's called it has like a green thing that's just more stuff Valhalla is the one that fixes the game yeah if, if people are curious uh, I'd say Pulsar 2849 is just amazing. As far as dice treatment, you draw the average and the game actually kind of punishes you itself. Well, you have to choose how to punish yourself by getting a high number or benefit yourself by getting a low number. I think that's a really interesting system, which I haven't seen that much. Because uh, you're going first otherwise or getting a high well, number? Uh, or you can get engineering cubes. There's like oh, tracks. Right. Yeah. So you can like choose your punishment or reward yeah. depending on if you take a high die for punishment, low die for reward. I haven't seen that in too many games where like you the the, the some kind of a punishment is built in for taking a high die and the reward for a low die. Mm-hmm. Coinbrain Artemis do it. Sixes cost six dollars. Yeah. One's kind cost of. one. But not to acquire well, them, you know what I mean? Not as beautifully and elegantly as Pulsar yeah. 2849. That really stands out. Yeah. 
Uh, so what about cards? I have a, I'm actually a fan of the river. You guys are like hating on the river, but like I think the river is good. Uh, to Matt's point, maybe it should be longer. Like barrage, I think has a river problem because there's no river, and I wish there was a river. It's a maybe puddle. Yeah, it's, like- it's a puddle. <laughs> uh, it has a little bit top decking uh, things. I I like the river though for cards. Um, uh, deck building games deal with the random flips with cost. Uh, the cards are valued at how useful they are. I think that's a little bit problematic because sometimes cards are useful in certain at certain times. Well, the card could others. flip and the player could just have that. I don't know. I like I like card rivers that we were talking about where it's it, the the latest flip is the most expensive. Well, yeah. I actually like the combination. I like there to be a built-in cost on the card plus a slot cost where it is so if it's a really good card it costs eight no matter where it is and then yep. it can be free added on or for if it's late in the river early yeah. in the river uh yeah. i really like deck staging staging meaning like yes. age one age two age three. Oh yeah i think that's kind of a fail in terraforming mars where you can have drafts even of completely useless cards at the beginning of the game because they're really expensive and impossible and like beginning cards which are were actually sometimes done completely uh underwater cities is a contrast where it's staged like the weaker cards are in deck one then medium cards are deck two uh glenmore 2 is also staged very well in my opinion where you get just powerful effects so you don't want like some weak effect at the end of the game because no one's gonna pick it so they just remove those weak effects you know yeah seven wonders does that as well but Terraforming Mars, I think that's what ruined the game for me. So many cards. Are junk. And then <laughs> you, you're m- maybe waiting for a card that you never see, too. Yes. I'm going to do a fan BGG page on Terraforming Mars. I'm going to stage the decks into... Yeah, I'm going to fix it. <laughs> Just you guys see. I, they, they have so many expansions for it now. Why haven't they already done that? Yeah, Some they're going in the wrong direction before yeah. you're just fixing the basic thing. Yeah. But, but don't you want more junk with your junk? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm making fun of it. And in theory, it should even outthrow the game because the game is so slow. But it is a problem, in my opinion, where they should have had like early game cards, mid game and late game cards. It's just like, it's just, I don't know. It's a pet peeve of mine of... I don't want a game where the cards are completely useless. They should always be useful in some way. Right. It's just like a missed opportunity to me. Especially in drafting, because you want that in drafting. You want that decision of like, not like, all this is crap, I guess I'll take this, or this is the obvious one to take. You kind of want that painful, um, like, gosh, I want all these cards. Uh, Notre Dame does that really well. Yeah, All the actions are useful. So you don't want to discard anything. You don't want to give away anything. Yep. Uh, there's some abilities in games to search from the discard or take from the discard. That's a cool thing. That's like a minor thing, though. But yeah, lots of games do that. Uh, with card deals, how about like a lot of trick-taking games are vulnerable to like bad deals? Um, that you just have to do a number of trials. Um, you don't just play one hand of it. Actually, uh, my favorite trick-taking games are games where you bid on a contract. I think that's a way to... Um, or bid on how many tricks you're going to take. I think right, that's an right. excellent that's way, way to, to fix it because you can kind of f- uh, look at your hand and like try to guess the quality of your hand compared to other people and then based play on that quality, play mm-hmm. your own kind of goal off of that quality. Yeah. I think the the not so good ways are games where bad deals kind of determine the game. 
which sometimes happens. I like having to evaluate the circumstantial quality of my hand, meaning that if I bid the highest and I get to choose Trump, my hand is amazing. <laughs> else it's trash and so i take a risk by bidding really high and then i might fall on my face i mean yeah. diamonds has that decision has that problem except you can take the uh suit action if you don't have the cards that are you if you can't follow so it almost feels like every card it's, is useful is maybe, useful yeah even if it's low if it's low or high like it doesn't matter if yeah. as long as you i mean i feel like the strategy in that game is get rid of a suit as fast as possible yeah, and then and then start taking suit actions, which yep. is fun. It's kind of novel. Not a lot of games do that. Right. I yeah. can't think of any others. Yeah, yeah. I think that's actually a really cool system. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hmm. All right. What about card draws? Drawing randomly. Yeah, I mean, deck? Uh, I think Matt kind of covered that. Where if you're drawing cards, the best way to do it is like draw four, keep one, or. Uh, multi-use cards are another way that's, that's the right, way yeah. that's the way 51st state deals with it like maybe you you draw a useless card but you can make a deal with it or you can raise it or uh, pay four cards with cards turn them into a currency is a yeah. really cool way like race for the galaxy does that you can draw junk cards but the cards it themselves cost cards to play so yep. you just like get you basically it's a way to do draw five choose one or something yeah you know because you you, you trash a, trash a bad card to m make something else valuable we talked about worker placement first player um basically how the first player action is weaker in general um yeah player abilities game design um yeah that's um I don't know how you fix players. Actually, I have funny comments here. Uh, you, you, <laughs> uh, mitigating player-driven randomness. Um, you yell like uh, yes, yelling, fists, resentment, grudges, rage. I'll <laughs> never play with you again. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a way to fix uh, alpha gaming. <laughs> alpha game quarterbacking. You should do this action. <laughs> this is what you're supposed to do. Dang it! No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I think uh, player-driven random randomness actually is sometimes fun, and I think that's why we play games is uh, so they're not all like predictable, and sometimes exciting things happen. So right, yeah, right, or you're playing solo games all the time, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> or computer games or video games, like yeah, you kind of want the randomness from players, good players mostly, and if you have a player group, then the randomness goes down a little bit as far as players go because you can sometimes predict their moves. You which, know how they play. Yeah, mm -hmm. which makes it interesting for you as a player as well because now you're like, maybe I should start switching up my strategy in this game because I play the same way and everybody's like talking about it and blocking that. So now I, yeah. now I switch it up and it makes the game fresh again. Yeah, no, generally I'm not the type of person that's like, you should have done this or something. Why didn't you do this? I mean, sometimes I am, but it's usually a problem with like really new players who like have no idea what they're doing and they're just kind of like... The elephant in the glass shop or something yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> where they hurt <laughs> you not on purpose and it doesn't benefit them and they benefit somebody else like it's just yeah but i think it's fine like if someone wants to try something different to brandon's point that does change up the game in a good way i think and it makes the game interesting and it makes you try something new maybe so that's really cool and if we're concerned about the noobs experience we want there to be locks in the game so that they at least have a chance of winning right yeah. If yeah. we care about them. I don't right. know. Do we care about them? Sometimes. <laughs>
I try not to. Just kidding. <laughs> Another one of my favorite things of luck in games is kind of the Schadenfreude of uh, the people around me going for something and then rolling badly, and then. Or, LOL. I'm glad that didn't happen to me. <laughs> or just something really bad happening to someone else or you. I think it's kind of funny. Yeah, like something could... unlikely bad. Like something <laughs> yeah. really, really bad that no one expected. I think it's kind of funny sometimes. I've seen ones, yeah. Um, I just wanted to say like uh, how, how my perception of randomness has changed throughout uh, just the board gaming experience. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I used to really hate randomness actually. Um because of mostly those old games, which put me out of control. Uh, then I started gravitating more and more towards like deterministic games. And then I saw like really deterministic games and I kind of didn't like that either. So to Matt's point now, I'm kind of in the middle where there's a sweet spot where there is some randomness, which makes for excitement and interesting decisions on the input side, hopefully. Um, but there is not too much determinism which makes the game stale it's it's kind of kind of a sweet spot somewhere in the middle for me so i don't know if you guys want to mention how if you've changed at all or not yeah i mean to your point uh those older games kind of put a stain on you so anything that like feels like that in designer games you kind of go like this isn't what i signed up for yeah but then as you evolve through uh gaming and getting to know yourself as a gamer in different games you realize that sometimes the magic that we talk about can be produced from randomness i agree Ditto all those points, except for I think I like chessy games more than you guys do. Yeah, it's, it's, I've gotten that drift for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for me, there's a time and a place in those chessy games I would rather play two-player. Even something I've played recently, uh, Photosynthesis with two, and although it's not as quite as tight in the beginning, um, I like it better. Because there's not a lot of thought that's going into it, especially on other players' turns, because you don't know the outcome of the board, and you kind of have to think about it on your turn and not on other people's turns. I like it basically in a two-player game. So if I'm playing a chessy game, two players is how I'd rather play it. Yes, and it's not just player count, it's player type. I do not want to play a chessy game with somebody who thinks that gives him license to search the entire decision tree and take seven minutes a move. Right. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> What's the speed chess called? Blitz. Blitz. So that's how I want to play my abstract games. Yeah. Yes. All right. So with that said, here comes our top three random games. Yeah, we wanted to pair these together because it made sense. We talk about all this randomness. Now we're giving to you our favorite random games. Now, I'll preference with... Um, one of my games maybe doesn't have a lot of that randomness per se, but when I talk about it, I'll get to like why it is random to me. But basically, I just like uh, looked at my collection, some games that I've played, and uh, picked some games that are definitely random, but I definitely have a good time playing them, and they, it works for me. Random games that work for me is really this list. Yep, I, I was going to say just really quick how I made my list. I specifically excluded push-your-luck games just because I feel like it's their push-your-luck games. It's almost like its own genre. I don't want my whole list to be push-your-luck games, which are really heavy on the randomness. Um, so I just picked some other games where I feel like there's a lot of randomness, but the games are still fun. That's somehow. a good point. I as well didn't pick push-your-luck or roll-and-write. 
which could yeah. be argued yeah. that they're, that's the same thing. Well, but. I kind of picked a Roland Wright. <laughs> Spoilers, maybe-ish, in a way. I picked a Roland Wright. Um, yeah, I kind of picked an example of all my three favorite types of randomness. So they all have a different kind of feeling for their randomnesses. Number three. Speaking of roll and writes, um, a game which I picked, which is not a roll and write, but it certainly feels like one, and it's my number three, is Welcome to Centerville. Uh, Welcome to Centerville is a game where you roll dice, and it seems pretty random. And actually, I had pretty significant concerns when I was learning the game and when I was playing it for the first few times that it's just like really random and it still feels kind of random actually sometimes you roll dice and they produce the results you want and it's kind of a game where you invest in a strategy and you should push that strategy um, and sometimes the dice don't cooperate and you can actually even have bad rolls in a way in that game um, basically a lot of dice rolling but i feel like by the game design and just there's something magical about the game where uh it's just fun to play for me um the game is about building a city or controlling political offices in that city which give you special abilities or pushing this kind of engine track in a way with trees and uh houses along the river i don't know what the thematic connection there is or acquiring occupations from university, from a university-themed degree, something. So anyway, um, lots of dice rolling, kind of like some set collection elements, some engine elements, some area control elements, a really interesting mixture of a game. It feels like a roll and ride, but it doesn't have any writing. It's like cubes and pushing cubes with dice. Um, Pretty cool game, though. It kind of exceeded my expectations initially. Pretty random, but fun. A welcome to Centerville. Every time we played a roll and ride game, Christo would say, why didn't they just make this into a board game? <laughs> Somebody finally <laughs> listened. Yes. Because yeah, that's like, what this is. This is like a roll, roll and ride the board game. And yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, my number three is Alchemists. Um I'm not sure there's actually any skill in this game when it comes down to it. You are just like picking a frog and a crow's foot and seeing how they mix together. And um, there's a card river of items that might help you. And you either drink poison or you drink not poison. And it is just randomness on randomness on randomness. And so why do I like it? Because it's so fun. Every single element is so fun. Just it all leads to fun. Alchemist is kind of funny because it starts really random because you know nothing. There's a random element that's picked for, for different uh, potions, like ingredients of uh, how to make these. And you're just kind of blindly scanning things. But then it gets less random, uh, the deduction part, as you go along, like any deduction game. Um, and, and then you start figuring things out, right? And it feels less random of what you're taking. Because in the beginning, everyone's so full of crap in the beginning. Yeah, you're just taking whatever. <laughs> like, I don't care. I'll take this frog and this feather. Who cares? Uh -huh. But then near the end, you're like, I need this card <laughs> to figure out if I'm right on this thing. So, yeah, that's a great game. Yeah, I actually had had the exact same thought as Matt. I was like, there's like not so much game here, but it, it's kind of a weird thing where the game overcomes the randomness with its theme, I think. It just feels so thematic and so fun. 
uh, to just play the process of playing the game that like I don't care so much about you know um, someone might get a lucky deduction or just get lucky on a theory or whatever um, and just win the game but uh, it's a case where like Call to Adventure the game overcomes the randomness with the awesome theme and the awesome feeling when you play the game all right so my number three is Mountains of Madness now there is some randomness as far as like card draws go and it's a real-time game um, when you're flipping tiles to see what cards need to be played. It's a co-op game where you're traveling through the mountains and each spot you have to stop on, flip it, and it's going to tell you certain cards at certain values that need to be played. And the timer flips and everybody has to discuss what they can play. The randomness to me is two things. One, so you play once you play a card down... Everybody has to stop talking and you place it face down and everybody has to play their cards down as, as quickly as possible. The random thing is like from players on at this aspect where Matt says like, I have, I have th value for five books. I could play five books. And Hristo says, I could play the weapons. And I'm saying, okay, I'm not playing anything. And then we start putting down cards and we flip it. And then we're like, what happened? I thought we were all going to play these. And why didn't you play your weapons? Oh, because he said he was going to play weapons. And it's just like, feels so random when you lose when you're like i could take care of this you take care of this you take care of that and then because of the 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 um nervousness of the time running out everybody just like freezes and plays crap and you're just like what happened <laughs> the second randomness that i like in the game is madnesses so you you get madness cards and it says like you're cold or you have to leave the table and talk to people from afar. It only happens when you flip the timer and you're playing cards. But man, does that induce some weird randomness where some people have can't talk unless their name is said or they have to talk counting syllables. And it makes it really fun. It's like a it's like a semi-serious co-op game with party game elements added to it. And it makes it feel so random, mm -hmm. but random in a good way in this case. I had an awesome one that I loved. I had to say like, yeah, okay, whenever anyone asked me a question. So like if they say, are you going to play five guns? I'd have to say, yeah, okay. And then they think I'm playing five and guns. There's where the <laughs> there's where the player randomness comes yeah. in of playing cards. Matt said he was going to play this. <laughs> yeah, okay. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. Uh, spoilers, because those uh, madnesses, some people actually don't like to reveal the deck just because they're like so weird. And, and stuff, you're not supposed to oh, tell well. anybody what your madness is, which yeah. adds to the fun of it. Um, yeah, so that's my number three, Mountains of Madness. It's a really funny one, though. Um, the yeah, okay thing. Uh Number two. My number two is Western Legends. Western Legends is a sandbox game. Um, it might be displaced someday if we get to play Zia or Merchants and Marauders or maybe other sandbox games, we'll see. But for now, I like this one a lot. Um, the game is a simulation of like the Wild West. You're basically a um, cowboy and you can wrangle cattle or rustle cattle and you can play poker and you can shoot bandits and you can rob other people you can rob the bank it's basically just like the wild west the game wild west the game um where does the randomness come from all kinds of places there's um 
your hand, which may or may not be good, by card draws. The, there's no dice rolling, though, in that one. Um, it's all about card combat, and the cards are arguably kind of balanced in a way, but are they really? I don't know. The game itself fights against you by the player to the right drawing cards for NPCs and fighting against you. That can be a source of randomness sometimes. Maybe they draw bad cards or good cards. Um, there's mining, you roll dice. The, basically, it's kind of random in so many ways. You pick up random cattle tokens, which might give you random rewards. But again, the theme of the game overcomes um, the, all those randomness concerns. I think it's really fun to play. And amid the chaos, most of the time, the game actually ends up kind of pretty balanced as far as score. It might be because of people knocking down the leader, though, which is what I think a lot of those games feature. So once someone pulls ahead, people should attack them and knock them down. So it's so, kind of self-balancing. Yeah, so it's kind of self-balancing in a way. But there's a lot of chaos happening, but the chaos is actually kind of a good chaos, I think, in that game. For me, I think it's thematic. I think it comes across well. Uh, like I say, pretty fun to play. Western Legends is my number two. Thematic because the Wild West was random and chaotic. Someone mm -hmm. gets shot and they go, why did they shoot me? Well, <laughs> he didn't like what you said two days ago. <laughs> Pretty much. And it's the Wild West, so you people can do You were the fastest gun in the West. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For glory, man. For glory. Uh, my number two is definitely a roll and ride. It's Bricks. Um, this is my favorite version of having to make lemons out of lemonade. Risto's making a bad face. I know you hate it. Uh, Justine also hates it. I never get to play this game, but I was obsessed. There's a solo variant, actually. Out. Solo, yeah. It might be my first solo game ever. I might give it the solo treatment. But I just love how you have to make do. You want a red squiggly to come out, but guess what? The red squiggly never comes out. You have to have a green L. And I love um, the making lemons out of lemonade of bricks. I like Bricks. I'll play Bricks with you. It's short, too. It's fun. It's a Tetris-style game. Um, there is mitigation, though, right? You can mitigate where the thing goes by spending... I don't remember what you're You have, spending. like, power points. Yeah, yeah, power points, yeah. And it it's, like, shaped like an arcade game. It's, like, it's fun. Yeah. Ten minutes. Uh, my number two is Memoir 44. If you played this game, I probably don't have to mention what's random about it. The random <laughs> is Roll to Resolve Battle. Um, I like the game. It's World War II based and you're just like moving units from cards. So that's random too of what cards could be in your hand. I mean, you could keep drawing cards and never get a card that has the left side of the board and that's what you really need to do. So that could be frustrating at times. But to me, this is just such a like silly game that it to me, it doesn't matter. I mean, I say silly, but it's a really serious theme. People have died in this war and people are dying on the board. But um, it also has like there's paratroopers that could come in at the beginning of the game. That feels really random because you just take a fistful of units and drop them on the board like they're parachuting. And if they drop on opponents places, they immediately die. And if they fall <laughs> off the board, they immediately die. Um, but if they land on or near hexes that are empty, you get to place out units on that. And that's like the start of uh, a scenario. The scenarios too are like historically accurate. So you get like a piece of history before you play the game. Um, the role to resolve could be painful at times because you just like no fault of your own, your units are dying. Um, there's like little strategy in it, uh, like where you move your units and what you're doing. But uh, to me, it's just like a fun, light war simulation game. Uh, Memoir 44. 
Yeah, my plays of Memoir 44 were pretty fun. Actually, I can see how people were saying like it's very historically awesome. You get to recreate the feeling of a lot of these battles and stuff. Um, number one. All right, so... My number one is kind of a tie between 51st State and Race for the Galaxy. It's kind of cheating a little bit, but I think they're kind of very similar to each other in a way. Uh, in what way? I mean, maybe they're similar to other games in the genre in, in that same way. But I looked at Board Game Arena stats, actually, uh, for this. I was kind of curious because um, I was on this streak of like checking for win rates and stuff a while ago. And uh, I recently read something about backgammon being like pretty close to 50% win rate if you play with equal skill levels. Someone ran an algorithm with like thousands of plays and it was like 50.5 or something percent, which is hilariously bad as far as like you can be awesome and just roll badly and be screwed there's like no way to fix that in that game um race for the galaxy i looked at players who have played like thousands of times i've played that game a lot their win rate was like 60 percent or 66 or something which i also feel like it's kind of bad and unfortunately sometimes in that game it comes down to did I get the right cards at the right time? Once at like really high level when everyone knows the contents of the deck, everyone knows what the other person should be doing or are doing. And I think 51st State is probably prone to the same thing. Um, I think the person who met the least, the least resistance by randomness is going to probably win the game, assuming like equal skill levels and everything and equal like playing the odds and all that stuff. Um, unfortunately, I think the cards dictate the game i still find the games really awesome and amazing to play but i recognize that unfortunately um i think like a really high skill level game should have like if you're good you should win like a really high percentage of the time and i think like 60 65 percent is like not that high uh well a lot of things could be um uh, built into that number like are they playing against an equal skill level who knows but uh basically my impression is that sometimes you just get bad chains of cards uh in that game uh, in race for a galaxy in particular and nothing can salvage you from a bad chain of cards against a good player with a good chain of cards that just is how the game is but the game is like i say awesome games always enjoy them always amazing to play um really high on my list. It's kind of arbitrary to define, but I think my tastes are with you. I want it to have bare minimum 65% is kind of the number that comes to me. I want you to win two out of every three seems like significant enough. Well, to me, like chess should be like, what, 90% or something like, or like even maybe like 95. Like if you're playing against a lower skill level player, you should win like every time mm -hmm. pretty much. So, so that's what I'm-, I'm Chess ELO, every 100 ratings means that they should win 75% of the time. So a 1500 versus 1600 should be a 7525. And then so a 1500 versus 1700 should be a one out of 16. And then it just keeps on, you know, theoretically yeah, yeah, yeah. I can beat Magnus Carlsen if I play him 10 billion times or something. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's weird statistics right there, but okay. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so my number one is number one because there's a ton of randomness, but I think the better player wins 90% of the time, and it's Kanban. I could have picked any of Lacerda's games, but I don't think they get enough attention for how random and top-decky almost every interlocking element is. Uh, so in Kanban, there's six places you can go. At the top of each of their tracks are three rewards that are face-down random. And then two of the six places, the primary mechanism is just top deck you look. Uh, the contracts you get for cards, they need to work out for you or you're in trouble. And then the, uh, the meeting goals, those are just, I hope you get dealt stuff you like. But somehow, because of good game design, just uh, it's sometimes you just can design around these things, uh, the better player wins most of the time and you're not grumpy about it. I'm never just saying, oh, I lost that game because I got unlucky. I'm thinking, hey, how can I do better next time? It brings out the type A player in me, not the, just the whine about the luck player in me. Kanban, if uh, if you're pronouncing it right. I, mean, I probably am not. Yeah, it's probably Kanban, yeah. It's Kanban? Like, it's a Japanese word meaning Kanban. like signal. And what does it mean? It's a signal for like inventory <laughs> management. It actually has to do with lean, by the way. Like, that's <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. Like lean manufacturing. I think uh, it's uh, Toyota would made it like a thing in the 80s or whatever, like Kanban. I thought it was the German word for car factory. That's hilarious. But, no, it's a Japanese word yeah. for signal, I think. And it has to do with signaling with like push-pull inventory, like a uh, signal that you need inventory or need a new unit to work on. But if you're trying to spell it, spell it I mm -hmm. think uh, Matt's going to help you out there with that pronunciation. It's more spelled yes. like Kanban. <laughs> yeah, with a K. And Lisboa could have gone there too. It's the same thing. Right, right, yeah. Uh, my number one is Australia. Uh, I'm pronouncing it weird because it's with a Z instead of an S. Um, randomness, a lot of randomness in it. Um, how do you beat monsters? I mean, so the game is like, it's like a war game, but instead of fighting um, other players, because you're not fighting other players at all, uh, you're fighting HP uh, Lovecraft mythos uh, monsters. How you're fighting them is with card flips. You flip the card and you you see how much damage they take or you take so i mean it's kind of a dice but you, there's a sheet that tells you how often uh, a particular unit is gonna is gonna hold up to these particular monsters so that's the mitigation is where you can just like think about statistics and look at the sheet and go okay i have this and this i put these units in and let's do it uh well, really bad randomness in it though that could be kind of funny is you don't know what is underneath these tiles until you fight them then they flip now once they're flipped and they're not defeated other players can go after them they know what they are but until then there you don't know what's going to be underneath there so you can send in tanks and troops and trains and it's a kangaroo <laughs> like <laughs> what <laughs> we heard a noise in the bush so we're sending all these troops and it's kind of funny because I imagine all these tanks and troops coming in and then out from the bushes pops just a kangaroo and they're like, well, we're here. <laughs> Let's light it up. Because <laughs> yeah. it does go away. So I, oh, I think it dies. It's kind of dark. <laughs> um, the, the turn order is interesting in the game because if you could, you're taking time to take actions and some actions good actions will take a lot of time so it'll push you forward and the last person uh on the 
the time track is going first. So you could also set up turns where you're taking like two or three turns in a row. So uh, the funny thing in that game is actually there's like levels of randomness, uh, level of randomness one. Am I going to be able to beat the thing that flips? Is it even a thing that I'm fighting against? Level of randomness number two. If you weaken the thing and you pull out, the other person can come in and hit it. And the, I can't remember details, but like they get a lot of points for it because it's and it's weakened for them, if I remember correctly, you, which is kind of hilarious. You split points. But the person that the, the it's, more there's damage, a majority there's yeah, a majority yeah, yeah. on yeah. it. So if there's overage, if you can't split it evenly, it goes to the player with the majority yeah. on it. So yeah, I mean you could go in and just hit a bunch of these things and pull out, and then expect uh, everyone else to like kill them, and you're getting points for it. But um, it's a Martin Wallace game, and doesn't feel much like a Martin Wallace game. Uh, some of his better ones, it, it, they don't really compare. But I do like Australia. It's just an interesting game for me. And it has a good solo variant that I've played several times. To me, the randomness was bad in this game. And it's kind of a tragedy because I really liked the Martin Wallace economic elements, mm -hmm. the, the cubes, and I liked the railroads. But I don't like this game overall. C yeah. Cthulhu ruined it for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cthulhu's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say uh, just an honorable mention for backgammon. Um, like I say, um, there's a study out there. You can find it. it. It's very, very unlikely that you'll recover from bad luck in that game, even if you're a skilled player. If you think you're skilled, maybe you're not. Just kidding. I don't know. Uh, I kind of agree with that study, though. I think it's all about rolling uh, the right thing at the right time. However, I still enjoy playing the game. I think it's a really cool game design. It has like the kind of like a is my fate to win this game thing going on or not. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoy the, the odds calculations in it, which may or may not work out depending on if you're all the right numbers. But it's, it has a really cool design. It's a, it's a classic for a reason, for me at least. Um, I enjoy a lot of Carl Chudik games a lot as well. Um, Motainai, Impulse, they're all quite random innovation. They're all, they're all quite random, like pretty high and put all of them on my list but they're a nice honorable mention i enjoy playing them for some reason even though i think they are pretty random overall um matt wanted to say something about backgammon maybe yes uh the doubling cube makes those decisions really interesting if you think that you're in an advantageous spot there's a whole other um aspect of the game of you say okay either let's double the stakes right now or you concede so you can kind of get people to concede yeah. when you're yep. ahead instead of running it out and giving them their full equity in the game. I actually haven't played with that, but I looked at buying a board and that has to do with like gambling, I think, yes. more the, the doubling cube. And I haven't really played backgammon for a, a lot of gambling. Heavy luck that's, games. that's weird. You need to play for money. Otherwise, yeah, otherwise everyone will just accept. Oh, yeah, we'll play for two times nothing. Yeah, why otherwise not? it yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's another reason why backgammon is often played for really high stakes. If you only have a 2% edge, you better play for $10,000 to make to play for a $200 game. Do you get what I'm saying? You're only playing for 2% of that big, giant sum of money. So that's why the pro backgammon players like Falafel and Gus Hansen play for like obscenely high stakes because it is only just like 51 49 I didn't even know there's a pro circuit 
for backgammon. Oh yeah, there is. <laughs> okay. Matt, do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, it was 51st state. I think okay. if I did this list 10 different times, it would be as high as my number one. Sometimes it's just, you know, sometimes hard to order games. Right. Um, I don't have any, uh, this list was actually hard for me to come up with because I was trying to think of games that have a lot of randomness in them that I like compared to like games that, uh, have a side element of randomness that is just kind of like not obvious, I guess, yeah. and not like doesn't affect the game that much. So I don't have any honorable mentions. So I think it was good. A good list though. I liked your list. It was well-fitting, I think, with what I was thinking in my head. I won. <laughs> won the list. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Hey, if you listen this long, maybe you could do us a solid and review it on whatever platform you're listening to. And I never say that word solid, so you know how much I want you to do it. Uh, we'd like to thank Demolition Games. Uh, Demolition Games is in Salt Lake City, Utah, so if you're in the area, we highly suggest coming down to Demolition Games. We also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the beautiful theme you're hearing right now, and Kirsten, Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Uh, you can find Kirsten's art at Cat Coffee on Instagram. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>